Welcome to episode 225 of the Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thanks for joining us. We're lawyers, mostly lawyers, uh, talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. Uh, uh, I'm joined today here in the studio with Gen- uh, by General Michael Hayden, who was the director, the only director of NSA and the CIA, uh, currently a principal of the Chertoff Group and best-selling author of uh, two books now, uh, uh, one on his career in intelligence and uh, one on uh, uh, intelligence in the age of Trump. Uh, and we'll be talking about all of those topics. Uh, uh, General, welcome. Thank you. Thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, and you were you really in Australia? I was, no, I was. I was. Uh, I got back very late Friday. And then uh, what made the weekend blessedly hectic is that our son and his family who have been in Turkey for five years, came back. Uh, PCS on Saturday. Oh, terrific. Yeah. yeah. So we've had three little ones, eight, six, and four, uh, added on to the jet lag. Those are, those are, those are And great they've got years. jet lag too. Yes. yes. Oh, so, yes. The, so they're running around and they're breaking down. It's, yeah. it's, it's exciting. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, we've also, speaking of running around and breaking down, we have a great team uh, uh, for our news roundup. Uh, Paul Rosenzweig, familiar to all listeners, uh, founder of Red Branch Consulting, uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary. Secretary for Policy at DHS when I was there. Um, we've got David Chris, former assistant AG in charge of the Justice Department's National Security Division. Uh, Nate Jones, who's a veteran of the Justice Department, uh, the National Security Council's ter- counterterrorism office, and uh, was an assistant general counsel to uh, Microsoft until recently. Uh, we also got Nick Weaver, the irrepressible Nick Weaver, uh, senior researcher at the International Computer Science Institute in Berkeley, and a lecturer at the Computer Science Department at UC Berkeley. And I'm Stuart Baker, your host, uh, formerly with NSA and DHS, and holding the record for returning to Steptoe to practice law more times than any other lawyer. Um, that's the intro. Uh, let's jump right in. Uh, um, the uh, uh, Tony Rutkowski, when he read the tweets that I sent out of the topics we were going to cover, said, you know, you really ought to call this an administration of neocoms. Uh, they are spoiling for a fight with China over communications. Uh, um, David, um, it looks as though they may arrive at a solution with ZTE. What do you think? Right. Well, on July 2nd, the Commerce Department granted a one-month reprieve to the prior ban from April on purchases uh, from American providers, which was really pretty close to a death sentence for ZTE, given that it needs hardware and software elements. Um, And we'll see what happens uh, between now and August 1st. Maybe they can uh, work out some kind of an understanding. The funny thing here is that the sanctions on ZTE were originally imposed for trading with Iran and our new friend North Korea, um, whereas the reason for a lot of the concern today is actually on sort of the other side, which is that People think they are effectively a supply chain arm of the People's Liberation Army of China. Um, And that mismatch, I think, between the underlying conduct behind some of the sanctions and the actual concern, I think, only contributes to the somewhat unstable environment with respect to ZTE that we're currently seeing. Yeah, I thought the the one-month reprieve was... uh about as grudging as it could be, but uh, real, uh, and it will allow ZTE to say we're we're starting up the hill, and we ought to be able to sell your products soon. Um, and uh, the uh, the likelihood, frankly, that 
Congress is going to be over, able to overturn this, I think, is relatively low. Uh, but that's just the export control problem. It's highly likely that Congress is going to pass additional legislation that makes it harder for Americans to buy ZTE and Huawei products. Right. And on top of that, uh, after it had been pending for something like seven years, China Mobile's uh, request to provide mobile service uh, to Americans has finally been denied. I think probably they were getting the hint, uh, uh, but it looked as though the Obama administration just didn't want to actually deliver the news, and uh, the neocoms were quite happy to deliver the news. Nate? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it was six years and 10 months, so they moved a little faster than that. Um, but yeah, so I guess you know the, the executive branch finally weighed in last week with their recommendation, which is that um, China Mobile offering the services it was proposing would raise substantial and unacceptable national security and law enforcement risks and found that those risks could not be mitigated. Um, I found a couple of things interesting about the letter. One is, um, you know, despite the length of time that it took and that being a little bit excessive, um, it does seem like the government gave China Mobile a chance to explain itself um, and, among other things, put in writing for the first time the factors it considers when reviewing these applications and gave a pretty um, extensive explanation of how it, how it looks at those factors. Um, and the other thing was they were pretty honest about the, the mitigation um, and the fact that it's, uh, you know, they rely a lot on the, the company itself to follow the mitigation measures that it has put in place and, and that the government has pretty limited capacity to make sure that they're doing so. And it seems like uh, the biggest place where this fell apart was that they just had no faith that China uh, Mobile would actually adhere to any mitigation measures they put in place. Um, we don't know which ones they considered because that was all blacked out on the letter. But um, whatever they thought through, um, it seems like they just decided in the end that they couldn't trust China Mobile to actually abide by them. Yeah, I, I, you can understand why that would happen, especially after ZTE, which really just yeah. blew off the requirements of U.S. law. Uh, I'm guessing that the reason that they listed the factors that they considered uh, was because the, this administration has learned that saying national security doesn't get you a pass from judicial review. Uh, and they wanted to say, uh, we actually gave these guys due process. We told them what the standards were. We uh, let them give us whatever information they wanted to give us. And then we made a decision and they didn't make it. Uh, and that is more likely to withstand review than simply saying, well, we thought about it and national security requires that we say no. Yeah, I think that's right. All right. Um, the European Parliament has failed to live down to my expectations, uh, uh, which are low indeed. Uh, they actually voted against uh, a remarkably uh, maximalist copyright uh, bill, uh, one that would have made it very hard uh, for uh, people smaller than YouTube to, uh, to take user uploads of uh, uh, media. Uh, and uh, uh, the question, I guess, Nick, is, is this for, for real or is this just a PR move? Um, it's for real, but it's not dead yet. So the vote was not up or down. It was either up or go back and look at it in more detail. So 
do not expect the general coalition of uh, internet advocates to rest on their laurels at this point, because this is has real potential to rise up and try to once again um, kill European internet. Yeah, this is this is a, a fairly unique European legislative review of proposals a process and. They have a kind of veto, but it's a veto that sends it back to the commission, and the commission can stew on it and then send them back something that is very close to the last version and say, we thought about it, and now we fixed all your problems. Please take this one, and, and that's what you're afraid of. I, I, and I, I have to say this is, this is my uh, episode for uh, saying nice things about the Europeans. They are also leaving us in the dust in terms of digging into the social media of uh, uh, immigrants uh, uh, for security purposes. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, did you have a twinge of envy when you read this story? Well, more than a twinge, I guess, it, it certainly is the case, it's undeniable that social media provides a robust set of information about people for all sorts of purposes. Uh, the EU is is using uh, access to social media of potential immigrants to identify or attempt to identify uh, the differences between those who are legitimate asylum seekers and those who are, are fraudsters. Um, it, uh, it reminds us that uh, in the United States, we've had uh, basically a, a, uh, a, a knife fight over whether or not uh, CBP, Customs and Border Protection, can ask for similar access to uh, social media when and if uh, uh, foreigners are attempting to the United States. And so um, the, the uh, obviously the delicious irony in all of this is that uh, the European Union continually tries to school the American government on how protective of privacy rights they are, and then turns around and uh, disregards its own rhetoric when it comes to protecting its own borders. Um, so it's it's quite uh, it's quite a bit of uh, Schadenfreude, if you will. So uh, uh, I, for, I, for us, at least for me, I I am reminded of the saying that uh, the dark night of fascism is always falling on the United States, but it always seems to land in Europe. Uh, and uh, uh, this is this is a measure where they're actually uh, getting. Uh, demanding in Denmark, they're actually demanding passwords so that they can look at even the private postings. Another Sorry. thing that they've been doing is actually doing phone forensics because EU law on asylum seekers is you're supposed to claim asylum in the EU country you arrive at. So if you arrive in Greece and then try to claim asylum in Germany, they can deny you. And so they've been looking at that, too, using phone forensics to show, oh, wait, you weren't uh, you passed through Greece on your way to Germany. So how can't you beat that just by eating the sim? <laughs> uh No, because you'd have to nuke your phone, not the sim. And uh, they could still also get the data from the uh, cell phone company metadata. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, it, what's really interesting here is how that sort of decision would play out um, at, in America after the Carpenter uh, uh, cell site location information data, assuming, assuming that foreigners have any 
have Fourth Amendment rights at all, which they tend to when they're in the United States. Uh, I'm not even sure we could do the phone forensics on a on an immigrant or an asylum seeker. You know, once they're here, maybe not, although you might be able to yeah. argue that it's a border search. Uh, but I think for the refugees, the, well, refugees, we usually screen outside the U.S., uh, uh, but the asylum right. seekers are here. Uh, we could say uh, you need to consent to uh, our search before we uh, decide where you're going to spend the next six months. Uh, and if you don't consent, then that's one more reason why you might be one of the lucky people who goes into stir instead of getting a bus ticket. Yep. So what about the Israelis? They're also uh, uh, putting us to shame with their use of social media, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, this is a recent report that they've been uh, monitoring Palestinian uh, social media and they report that the monitoring is a factor in uh, a significant reduction in uh, yeah, adverse terrorist incidents, uh, shootings on buses and bombings and things like that. You know, it, it's just come a, kind of come across my uh, our attention in the last day or so. It's like I'm not sure how detailed uh, uh, their inquiries are, but it looks to me like they are monitoring uh, Palestinian social media feeds as part of. Uh, as part of their uh, anti-terrorism program, and it's working. Uh, it should be pretty easy for them because my understanding is that all the Palestinian um, our telecoms go are rooted out through Israel, uh, both from Gaza and the West Bank. So, so, uh, so they should have um, kind of the same uh, uh, home field advantage that the United States used to have, that General Hayden used to talk about uh, with respect to. Uh, uh, internet transmissions and media here in the United States. Uh, so, I'm skeptical. Uh, again, I'm going to be. I'm going to express skepticism. I think TLS and HTTPS uh, everywhere has reduced that home field advantage. They're going to have to go to the social media to get access to this, although they can monitor the public uh, side of it. Uh, uh, so my guess is that. Uh, they have found a way to induce social media to give them some kind of access to a broad range of uh, uh, expressions of sentiment on the West Bank. Be interesting to see what how that is, how yep. that works out. Who's cooperating with the Israeli government? Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, the DNC, uh, having been burned, uh, you know, to the ground by Russian hackers uh, who got in by famously spoofing uh, uh, Google security, uh, uh, have launched an effort to train their staff not to fall prey to phishing attacks. And they said, and I think it's fair to say they bragged, that they had gotten 80% of their staff not to click on bad links, uh, you know, using one of these uh, commercial phishing services, um, which is actually what's deeply troubling about this, uh, uh, Nick, is that's a pretty good number, and it's utterly inadequate. Yes, and this is why I'm a huge believer in security keys. So any campaign should be using Google for their email and set up with security keys for login because the security key design is such that you cannot be fished. And that phishing works at all is a failure of the computer security posture these days, that you can build systems and deploy them using 
U2F security keys where you don't actually need to worry about the user giving up their password. So let me ask you a, a uh, uh, user uh, help desk question. I signed up for 2FA uh, with Google and I use it uh, and it works fine, but it still doesn't seem to work with uh, um, Firefox. Uh, uh, and Google assured me that Firefox was on the verge of uh, uh, adopting Fido and that it would all work to seamlessly together. I'm not seeing that. Have you encountered that issue? Uh, yes, and it's the reason why I'm using Chrome rather than <laughs> Firefox is because <laughs> yep. Firefox still has the answer of if you want U2F, you have to install a third-party extension, blah, blah, blah. No, sorry, this is not a optional feature in a browser these days. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, it, uh, you know, it's 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 sad, but I agree with you. Uh, this is just something where you 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 need a well-trained staff, uh, staff, and then you need something more. Um, what about I, I I'm going to give you a chance to talk about a story that's actually about ten days old because you were all over it when it broke, and I didn't uh, get a, get to ask you last week. Uh, I, it looks as though the feds have figured out a pretty good way to break down dark web drug sales, uh, maybe not all of them, but to really put a dent in those sales. Yes, and it's uh, the fundamental criminal bandwidth for so many things is not the crime, but the money laundering. And this is especially true in the cryptocurrency space. All the drug dealers hate Bitcoin, but it's the only game in town if you're selling online. And so... What has happened is there's these local Bitcoin sales, et cetera, where basically they're money launders. And so what happens is the drug dealers are selling their Bitcoin to these entrepreneurs in bulk who are then selling it retail to the drug customers. And so what the Homeland Security Agency investigators did is they arrested one of these guys and rather than just busting him for unlicensed money transmitter, they took over his identity and basically acted as the uh, serious Bitcoin conduit for a huge number of these online drug dealers and then just arrested them all. It's pretty that, uh, and, you know, they, 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 it's going to be hard for people to get around that, uh, uh, especially because you kind of have to deal with the sleazy side of uh, um, uh, the cryptocurrency if you're looking for people who will do this for you. Correct. You can't use Coinbase. You can't use any of these other services. So this is a nice, robust mechanism that I assume they'll keep up because it's really effective. Sweet. All right. Uh, last topic. Uh, uh, David, this is these topics are sort of uh, opportunities uh, uh, to get comments from people on stories that are a little old, but on which they have special expertise. Uh, you wrote a piece for Lawfare about the uh, NSA's mass destruction of data because they couldn't trust the numbers that they were getting in their metadata program uh, from the carriers. And they couldn't figure out even how to go back and take out the suspect numbers. Um, and so they just threw away three years worth of data. Uh, and in your closing paragraph, you said, well, you know, they, they can fix this going forward, they believe, but it's, it, 
shows this is a really complicated program, and complicated programs are hard to run without screw-ups, and it's an unforgiving uh, uh, climate for screw-ups, and maybe the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Uh, uh, do you want to elaborate a little on that? Maybe maybe give us the background on, on what went wrong, and then why you wonder whether the juice is really worth the squeeze? Sure. Um, I do think that this whole experience shows how optimizing the balance between security and privacy, uh, which Congress tried to do in the USA Freedom Act of 2015, can generate so much complexity that you end up with uh, significant threats to both security and privacy because the program is just too hard to operate cleanly. And that's what seems to have happened here. The, the USA Freedom Act of 2015 was a response to the disclosures in 2013 by Edward Snowden of the bulk metadata collection program that NSA had been running under the supervision of the FISA court for several years prior to that. The, the key features of that bulk collection program was that NSA would ingest huge amounts of called detail records, records of phone calls between one telephone number and another, and then would contact chain through them and query them under special rules approved by the court. Um, but NSA had all the raw data sitting in its data repositories and was doing the call chaining and connecting for the queries by itself. The key innovation, the key privacy enhancing feature of the USA Freedom Act was to leave the raw data with the telephone companies. And and if I can if I can stop you just there, I sure. put privacy enhancing in quotes. It was more about vindicating a particular and slightly um, idiosyncratic view of the Constitution, which is that uh, the government could never acquire this stuff without uh, particularized suspicion. Uh, and uh, um, that was never the Justice Department's view or the court's view, uh, uh, but it was Congress's, and they said, it, you're not allowed to have this data. You've got to leave it with the, con uh, with the uh, telecoms. Look, Stuart, I don't think the USA Freedom Act was a, uh, a statute enacted on a constitutional theory. I mean, it's an interesting question, I think, after Carpenter, whether there's a constitutional issue. But it was a policy choice, and it was designed to just reduce the amount of data that the government was holding um, in raw form. The, the difficulty is that it made NSA engineer a much more technologically complicated system to do iterative queries across essentially a federated database environment using all of the providers separately, building pipes between them and running queries across all of them in an iterative fashion. Just a lot more difficult uh, to set up and manage that system. And what happened here is that it failed, and it failed apparently totally. And because NSA doesn't have the raw data, they apparently can't go back and clean it up. So instead, they're just jettisoning everything, purging it all out. And the net result is we've been dark on this program for three years. It just didn't work. Um, the, the juice and the squeeze comment that I made is just to sort of ask whether the government is going to try to renew this USA Freedom Act, which will otherwise sunset at the end of 2019, when you, when you set up a system like this that is this complicated, 
And where you have the telephone companies apparently screwing up and, and sort of making a mess of things and NSA unable to fix it now, you do have to ask, is it worthwhile? Uh, how valuable is this program and how much complexity can we tolerate? I don't know the answer to that question. We're going to find out, but I do think it is now a serious question. Well, they clearly have, have reconstituted the program. The question is whether having reconstituted it, they're going to uh, have a fight <clears throat> over uh, reauthorizing it. Uh, right. And presumably reauthorization will cost them some political capital. That is, if they push for it, they'll have a fight on their hands, at least to some extent. We'll have to see how things look at the end of 19. But if they weigh and balance it, they may very well decide the fight here that they have to have to renew this statute just isn't worth it, given the benefits that it's producing and the difficulties that they may have in implementing it. So how much do you think we've lost by destroying three years' worth of data? We still have the, we still have the uh, suspected terrorist numbers abroad, uh, and we can go back and put them all under watch again and start collecting uh, the uh, social graph of those terrorist numbers. Uh, so what we've lost is uh, the social graph from two or three years ago or maybe even last week. Right. I mean, the, you know, the way this program works is it picks a seed number as to which there's reasonable suspicion that it's being used for terrorism or by terrorists. And then it goes out one hop and two hops into the numbers that are one, two degrees of separation from there. Um, there are some ways to get at it through the 702 program, the other programs that they do abroad. Um, and that, I think, is the open question. What's the affirmative value here? The, the best description of the affirmative value of the bulk collection program, the predecessor to this, I thought, came from Chris Inglis, who described it sort of as a third layer of defense, you know, Velcro that you need on top of the belt and suspenders. And it is useful in that, in that regard, but the question is, you know, how useful is it given its other drawbacks? All right. I don't know to that, but we'll probably find out because the government's going to vote with its feet one way or the other. Yep. Uh, and, and indeed, uh, we got a, a, a inexplicable or difficult to explain tweet uh, uh, from the president in which he... Uh, uh, suggested he he thought this was somehow tied to the uh, Mueller investigation and that it, it was a disgrace that NSA had been collecting this or maybe that NSA was destroying this who knows and an yes. uncareful reading Stuart, of the wanna, tweet would have would have said it was content yeah yes uh, um, David oh I'm sorry I just want to take credit for the president's about face because he did another um, reversal as he did uh, with respect to the FISA Amendments Act where he was against it in the morning and for it in the afternoon in the morning here he was criticizing NSA because this was all part of the witch hunt um, I then responded to his tweet by pointing out that this program is only for terrorism it's not for espionage or covert action or clandestine intelligence activities so unless his collusion was of a different sort than we thought. He had nothing to worry about personally. And then in the afternoon, he sent out a separate tweet uh, praising the fine people at NSA. So I'd like to say there's a causation there. I, I uh, sounds sounds right to me. Although, God knows there are there must be a million snowflakes in this country who believe they've been terrorized by the president. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks to uh, to David, to Nick, to Nate, to Paul. Uh, uh, let's get on to our interview with uh, uh, General Michael Hayden. Uh,
So the general's uh, new book is The Assault on Intelligence, American National Security in an Age of Lies. Uh, it's doing very well uh, on Amazon. Uh, uh, my first question uh, yeah. is, uh, you've, you've already written one book. <laughs> How come the second one and so soon after? It's so, you know, my, so my, infectious. My, yeah. my, my, my joke about this is it, 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 uh, writing books for uh, authors is like having babies for women. You don't start on the second one until you've forgotten how painful yeah. the first was. Well, this this was a different kind of exercise. A memoir is a memoir. Yeah. Right? Uh, this was more topical. And frankly, the memoir was in fairly narrow lane, mm -hmm. uh, a fairly narrow lane. It was, you know, it was Intel. It was me. Yeah. Uh, this was broader. Um, it, it was a, a broader scope. And, and I actually did it because I wanted to. Uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, Stuart, it, it got me out of my lane. I talked mm -hmm. to philosophers. I talked to historians. I talked to historians of philosophy. I talked to philosophers, philosophers of, of history. Um, I talked to a bunch of people in the back room of a bar in Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I talked to foreign journalists in, in the United States, observing the United States. And, and, and so it was as much an education for me right. as for anyone. And, and believe me, when I started writing, I had no idea how it was going to end. It, seriously. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I sat about a year ago in my kitchen with a big bunch of butcher paper and, and little post-it notes and, and wrote down thoughts and said, well, that should come before that. Uh -huh. And I kind of got it into five or six categories, which kind of became chapters. But until I wrote chapter eight, which was the last chapter, I didn't know what chapter eight was going to be. Ah, okay. Well, that it, it's and and it was a journey, an exploration. Yeah, yeah. Personally, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, I, I think of it as a little like Jimmy Carter deciding to run for president. He's sitting down there in Georgia as governor, and all these candidates for the Democratic nomination are coming through town, meeting with him. <laughs> and after he's met about five of them, he says, "Hell, I can do that." <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't wasn't quite that, but you know, there's a lot going on. And there's a lot of our tribe involved with it. Yeah. And um, until so I, I just felt as if I, A, wanted to understand it better, and then B, maybe try to express that understanding. So let's let's start with the Russians. Uh, uh, Wait, well, which is good, and I'll, I'm going to do that. But, you know, after going through this journey, the Russians are the top 15% of our problem. Yes. The base 85%. Is us. Yes, I, I agree with you, and okay. we'll get to that. Okay. It's just that we're not going to agree as much <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the, the bottom half of the cake. Yeah. Um, so the Russians are, are obviously engaged in information warfare, uh, and part of it obviously is they're, they're, they're starting with divisions that already exist. Right. What do you think we should be doing about this. So this is not a state of affairs that sure. uh, I'm, I'm inclined to think we should tolerate. Right. But the question then is, what and then what happens? <clears throat> yeah. So, so there, and this is chapter eight. All right. Mm -hmm. um, so, so number one, there are some technical things that we can do. I mean, we have it within our technical ability to an adequate level of confidence. I listened to the last conversation about reasonable, articulable suspicion mm -hmm. and so on to a certain level of confidence that that's a human being. And that's not a human being when it comes to posts and Twitter and, and so on. And so I, I, I do think uh, there, there can be some filtering out so that we aren't tickled by botnets. We are I mean, fair so enough. We, we at least know 
this is right. a Russian trying to get our goat. Exactly right. So I mean, that's within our ability. I, I think it's also within our ability. Another thing I, I discovered, uh, particularly talking to a lot of folks, uh, is, is that uh, you and I and probably a generation or two behind us have all been socialized to get our news in digestible doses from curated sources. Mm-hmm. And none of those conditions pertain. And, and so we do need a, a serious education effort as to how then does one handle a tsunami of information from a variety of sources whose validation we can't be sure of. And there are projects out there to do kind of a Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. look at, at, at new sites. Um, actually, one uh, by Steve Brill, who's got some credentials in, in this area, called NewsGuard, that actually grades a site, not a story. But a, but a site as to what its history has been, uh, its transparency, uh, what's known mm-hmm. and not known about it. Uh, and then, and then I, I got I to say, Steve yeah. Brill is remarkable in his ability first to diagnose what he thinks is a social problem and then to attract investors for a business that will address it. Yeah. He's, he's been doing that since he started uh, Legal so, Times. So, 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 so my journey on this, all right, is on the Bill Maher show, all right? And um, so I'm, I'm there being interviewed, not for the book, although, you know, the book is, is being pushed. And then Maher says to me, talking about fake news and so on, hey, Johnny, you got this kind of interesting story here about Rotten Tomatoes. And I quickly did the explanation as to what Rotten Tomatoes is and how it works. And I said, hey, look, I've gone to movies with bad ratings, but at least I knew what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. And I got the adequate laugh and so on. Before I got off stage, my, my iPhone is buzzing with emails, some of them from Steve Brill, of course. About, yes, hey, <laughs> he's very persistent. <laughs> I, got, I got something in, you might find useful. So that's another approach. Um, a third approach is to extend to social media, uh, some of the controls, prohibitions we have with regard to broadcast media yeah. when it comes to political advertising. All right, so you can you can nibble away at that there. But I say clearly in the book, Stuart, that, you know, that's taking an aspirin, right. all right? That's not a cure. Right. And, and the cure is in the base 85%. As, as I, I think I say in the book, they try this crap on Norway. It doesn't work well, because the Norwegians are different. Well, they have an elite they still trust. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, you know, I'll be candid. I would no more believe the New York Times choice of framing for mm, 60% of the stories that they write than I would accept it from, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin. I, or Breitbart. Ha- yes, exactly. They, they have an agenda. It has gotten, they've gotten worse about pushing it, not better. They are less trustworthy than they used to be uh, on this. Uh, and, and so if the solution is we should just go back to trusting the New York oh, Times and Walter Cronkite, we, we ain't going to no, get no, that. I, no, no. I, 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 I didn't say we need to go back right. to curated news. What I said was we have to be taught how to handle yeah. uncurated yeah, news. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that's that, that's fair. And, and it is uh, the trick is finding people whose uh, prejudices we understand and largely agree with, and and whom we still trust um, to tell the yeah. The truth. But I mean, look, there 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 is being anchored, and there's being unanchored, and there's a whole big area in between. Mm-hmm. All right, and and and, and so I, I get your suspicion of the times. Um, I, I work for CNN. All right, uh, under contract, okay. cards face up. <laughs> <right>. Okay, um, <laughs> and my my complaint with them is not so much truth untruth. My 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 concern is fixation, not fixation. Yeah, there, there's something. 
something to that. Okay. I, and, and, I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it is. It, I mean, they, they seem consumed. And, you know, when I go on there, I answer the questions I'm asked. Yep. All right. Um, and, and so then the. Again, to me, it's it's not so much the, the prejudgment and the literal meaning of the word. It's that the news gets – it all gravitates to the personality of the president. Right. Yes. I And uh, I think it was The Onion. Uh, no, it was uh, uh, some Christian satire uh, group that uh, talked about uh, CNN, I think, buying an industrial size uh, um, uh, dryer so that they could spin <laughs> the news more efficiently. Uh, and remarkably, that was taken down by some social medias as uh, having been a provably false story. And it's fake news and shouldn't be on, uh, well, on their well, system. Well, again, back – you know, and if you – if you go across the three seven by twenty fours, right? Okay, we we can make the case for each one of them. Oh, yes. Okay, I, in terms of focus, yes, maybe kind. I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, uh, use any time to uh, uh, defend other people's choice of story either. Um, so, uh, so no, let me let me go on because yeah. you do ask. Um, let me give you a sense as to how I think this works. And I tell this story in the book, and I actually researched it carefully. And you and I have exchanged. Thoughts prior to our meeting. Yeah. Um, it has to do with take a knee, mm-hmm. right? And 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 the, and the take a knee story. You know, we're not arguing the merits, okay? Although I have an argument, uh-huh. uh, but we're just talking about how the story evolved. So the president gives a speech on a Friday night in in Huntsville, Alabama. Does does the take a knee thing? Fundamentally, it creates a division that that we didn't need as a society. Russian bots are alive before he gets back to the East Coast, and they're playing both ends. Tastes great, less mm-hmm. filling. Mm-hmm. All right, it's it's patriotic, it's free speech. The um, alt right media grabs it, all right, and and really drives it. And there are incredible echoes between Russian bots and the alt right media. Right. And, and and by the way, th- this thing is already in the American vernacular. The Russians don't have to create no, the exactly. narrative. That's All right. right. And so then you've got this echo chamber between the alt-right media and 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 Russian bots. The alt-right takes it pretty racial, pretty fast. And I, I go I spin mm-hmm. that out a, a couple more rounds in the book because it actually directly hit, hits my hometown team, uh, the Steelers. And then Fox picks it up and all the non-news portions of Fox, which is a pretty big fraction. All right. Gets fixated on this story, and the president then tweets his approval as he walks, watches Fox and Friends. And so we have this, not a virtuous cycle, but it is certainly a cycle. And I point out in the book, that's not collusion. No. Right? That's convergence. Everybody played it for their own reasons. The president to feed the base, the Russians to mess with our heads, the alt-right because they're conspiratorial, and Fox to feed the demographic. But we end up a more divided society than we otherwise would be. And then I hit the punchline. You know, this is this is pre-buy weekend. So all 32 teams are playing the Sunday before the president talks. That's 1,750 American athletes. Mm-hmm. And all but six stood at attention. Not a national crisis. So back to what do we do about this? Quit shooting ourselves. Well, or quit taking knees. Well, okay, I, I get the issue, okay? And I actually wrote, a, you know, there's a, there's a backstory to everything. Um, I, I write for The Hill, all right? And they call me on Monday after 
the Friday after the Sunday, right? <laughs> okay, and says, "Hey, you're a football guy. You're a national security guy. This story made in heaven. Write it up, Hayden." And I go, eh. and I actually pushed back pretty hard. I actually called the Steelers right. because if you recall, they became focused on this yeah. because of Alejandro Villanueva, the, the blindside tackle, West Point graduate, and so on, whom I've talked to. I mean, so mm -hmm. I, did, I mm -hmm. told you this journey for the book was really interesting. And so I, I go home. I was teaching. Well, I, I, I'm guessing you you worked pretty hard to make that relevant to your book because uh, uh, well, talking to him would be uh, uh, no uh, actually exciting. actually anyway. I was called in by the stewards afterwards. Okay. Ah. okay, I sat there with the steward leadership and the Pittsburgh VFW, the Pittsburgh American Legion, uh -huh. Rocky Blyer. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. and you know, so I mean, like I said, the book. Um, I enjoyed the research. If you enjoy reading it, that's even a, that's yes. even a plus. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, but where was I? <laughs> okay. Oh, so you were talking about using divisions, and yeah. I, you were, I, I think, a little unfairly blaming the president for uh, expressing a view on a topic that everybody was expressing a view on. Yeah, and and you and I exchanged some notes on Friday about isn't he entitled yeah. to his own view? Yeah, and the answer is no. He's the president, All right? Harry Truman tells a wonderful story about himself. It's in Merle Muller's. Um, biography of Truman, in which Truman is now president. He's working in the White House. Uh, some member of the personal staff doesn't do something quite up to snuff. And he barks out at him as if he were Harry Truman from Kansas City. Uh -huh. And he realizes he's just shattered another human being because he's no longer Harry Truman from but Kansas Harry City. Harry Truman, he's the really president. He's the yes. president of the United Harry States. Harry Truman was, and it was admirable. He said, "I'm just this guy uh, from Missouri, but the president has to do certain things." Right. And that's I, my, that's that's you. You got it. That's the issue. And and so no, he, he he's not entitled to do that because that he cannot divorce himself from the presidency. The same way he sends out this stupid tweet on the USA Freedom Act collection out at NSA. Yeah, he's popping off. He's he's watching TV and he pops off. I, we deserve better. I, That's my argument, Stuart. I, okay. Uh, but, you know, you, you only get one president. He was elected. <laughs> oh, I and, 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 and by, by the way, unlike some of our colleagues, I do not challenge his legitimacy as okay. president of the United States. So let's and to, you know some of those guys oh, do. I know, I know. Uh, so let me get to the legitimacy thing because this was a fraught, um, transition. Um, yeah, it was. It was fraught by, in part, uh, by uh, uh, a uh, building investigation that had built all the way through the campaign um, uh, in which large parts of the Justice Department and the FBI thought there was evidence of the true Russian subversion, subordination of the Trump campaign. Uh, so you got you got a severable thing here, all right? You've got you've got the case with regard to Russian intervention, and I think you and I totally agree mm -hmm. on that one. Mm -hmm. and, and now, the, then, then the follow-on question is: Did they have any help? Yes, I and and I and it's clear that the administration believed, and with some justification, that the Russians were going beyond just a few uh, random tweets or even releases of documents and trying to make it personal, uh, trying to uh, uh, get close to members of the campaign. Yeah. Um, 
And they launched an investigation and they did a lot of stuff, uh, some of it probably unprecedented in terms of – But, an unpre- but yeah, I, I, I get it and, I, and I've got my complaints mm-hmm. about what Director Comey did a couple of times, right. all right? Uh, but, I, but I try to be soft. You know, Jim and I have a history, not all yeah. of it, yeah, yeah. not all of it great. Um, but he's always been an honorable guy, uh, you know, try, yeah, trying to do the right thing. And he was, he was truly in uncharted space. He was. I think he, ma- I think he made decisions – I think I hope I would not have made, all right. But but I try to so try mean, to impose that that additional degree of understanding that he's making it up. I I I, I I'm actually putting aside the whole discussion about Hillary Clinton yeah, email, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and looking at the question of the Trump campaign yeah. and their relationship to the Russians. And there, there, I, I, my question, I guess, is. What could he have done differently? Yeah. Uh, or, or maybe I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Let's suppose it's 2020 and uh, the president has continued to be cozy with uh, Vladimir Putin and to stick it to the Chinese. The Chinese really want Kamala Harris to win. Uh, and they start uh, working to uh, contact her campaign, to uh, open up uh, uh, Trump uh, uh, correspondence uh, and leak it. Uh, and the FBI is asked, what are you going to do about this indication right. that the Harris campaign is being infiltrated by Chinese actors? Right. By, by the way, we've do? we've seen a history of this in Canada. By the way, with members of Parliament, yeah, you know, not it's been several years now, but we, we... no, clearly they do it because it works. Yeah, uh, it, uh, but at the same time, as 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 we all know, uh, that can go really bad uh, it, for the national security. It's a, it is so so when I again trying to think this through, what you have to do when you write it down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I compared it to 9-11. Bear with me. I, okay. I know I know all the differences, all right? Um, but it was an attack from an unexpected di- direction against a previously unknown weakness, mm-hmm. all right? And, and, and the weakness, somewhat like 9-11, was part and parcel of our strengths, of, yeah. of what it is we viewed to be right. our, mm-hmm. our essence uh, as a society. So this is re- really hard. Which is why, in my case of particulars about how I underappreciate this president, um, one of them is he hasn't said how to up. All right, he mm-hmm. hasn't. He he hasn't. You know, we went extraordinary after nine eleven. We we just talked about yes. two fifteen, right. which became this, and and so on. Um, all of it controversial, most of it controversial, but at least we realized. Unexpected direction, previously unappreciated weakness. You got to restructure. You got to go extraordinary, extraordinary structures, people, resources, law, policy. And we only go extraordinary when the president says, as I said, huddle up. And and, and Donald Trump cannot call the huddle. He has not called the huddle. He, he's he's not interested in calling he's, it. He, he's he is not interested incapable in of calling and, the and, huddle. And, and, and to to give him his due, he thinks. That this is an attack on his legitimacy, oh. and for large parts of the body politic, including significant parts of the federal workforce, it is. So, so I, so I again uh, try to describe this in the book. There, there is actually some sensitivity in the book. Mm-hmm. All right, it's not a, it's 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 not Jim Comey's book. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, it's not Jim Comey's tweets either. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, right, right. All right, I, I do try to avoid the. By the way, back to working for CNN, uh, I've made it very clear. I will comment on anything the president. President says or does, but don't ask me to characterize the president. Yeah. Okay. Don't not 
right. don't make, uh -huh. make, make me um, be, be a judge uh, of the man. So he owes it to the office. He owes it to the nation. He's got to get beyond this. And so I, I, I do talk about um, this perfect storm. That's how I describe it in the book. No, number one, I, I spent a lot of ink describing how we have to adjust to every president. Right. All right. <laughs> okay. And I and, and every I, every single president has come in and done at least one thing that everybody said. Oh, you can never do that in Washington. <laughs> right. And they all they right. they do it. And what do you know? It, it it either works or at least they get away with it. Yeah. So so I I got a lot of anecdotes about my my life briefing presidents, and 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 I actually spend chapter two. All right, is all about President Obama. So no one is under the impression that we left the Garden of Eden on the twentieth mm -hmm. of January. Right. All right, and so we always have to adjust to the he president. Left the faculty we lounge. <laughs> 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 he said that, folks, not me. Um, he, he, yeah, and that's actually my complaint. If, if, if you know, are, are we ever going to stop meeting on this? Right. <laughs> okay. No, that, was a, that was one of the best lines in the book, I yeah. think, where you where you said uh, uh, people coming to the, these endless meetings, yeah. and finally somebody from the intelligence community said, at least in the Bush administration, uh, the, the fake, fake meetings, meetings started, started on time. time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, so we always knew this was going to be a, a higher than average adjustment because of the way God made Donald Trump, mm -hmm. right? Instinctive, intuitive, not reflective, <coughs> gives weight to arguments based on who told him rather than mm -hmm. what the evidentiary trail is. Okay, this is always going to be hard. I, I say in the book, Stuart, it is a national tragedy that the first time we had to try to close that gap was over an issue that some of America, and I don't think it's the people in the room with him on 6th January, mm -hmm. but some of America was trying to use to delegitimize his election as president of the United States. I, I, I cannot imagine anything being more harmful to, to the relationship. Right. So you're, let's say you're back at CIA. Yeah. Uh, and it is 2020, and the shoe is all the shoes on the other feet. Uh, and uh, uh, the question is, what are we going to do about a Chinese effort to promote one party over the other? Uh, on, but this time, it's against Donald Trump, not yeah. for him. Uh, so anything he does is going to be at a minimum suspect. I, I, I got it. And, and, and so back to my understanding for Jim Comey mm -hmm. in Uncharted Waters. Um, I think in retrospect, we all know uh, the Obama team went too late, too light. Mm -hmm. on, on all and, and everything having to do with what but the Russians would, no were doing. no one would have believed them. Oh, I, 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 I get all the reasons, <laughs> yeah. but in retrospect, oh man, that was a bad choice. Yeah. All right. And, and so he, we, we have got to build up a better political culture that, that, that allows actions like this to be taken without them being injected immediately into zero sum political gamesmanship. And, and, to, and to throw blame around, I mean, Mitch McConnell had his shot. Yeah, no, you know, I'm, that's and he, right. And he, and and I, he said know, no. And I'm guessing that in 2020, Chuck Schumer is going to say have the same view. Well, you're not going to uh, trash our yeah. candidate by saying she's the Chinese candidate. So, we, so it gets me back to the to the to the 85 percent problem. It's us, not them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. And 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 you know, I I didn't put this in the book, but it's how I explain the book when I'm you know out of politics and prose. I, I say it's a three layer cake, and the biggest layer is us, broad mm -hmm. political mm -hmm. culture. All right, and then the second layer, smaller but important, is the administration, and then the third layer, smaller still but not trivial. Or the Russians, but the basic layer is us. And here, I I, I talked to Ed Luce of the Financial Times. I listened to David 
Brooks. I watch his observations. I talk to a philosopher of the Enlightenment. And, and, and I try to track uh, our movement as a people into this post-truth culture that is basing decision-making less on evidence and, and, and data and facts and more on feeling, preference, emotion, tribe, loyalty, and grievance. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's what I saw amongst a lot of people I know in that oh yeah, no. They, they, they feel they've they, been dismissed yeah, right. and betrayed, and uh, you know, talked down to, yep. sold out, and then called racists. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And, and, and frankly, a little bit of the style of the forty-fourth president mm -hmm. it obviously contributed to that. Um, so I was in the back room in Pittsburgh talking to folks. Here's an anecdote that kind of captures what I'm trying to describe. I said, "Oh, come on, give me a break. How many people really think Barack Obama wiretapped Trump Tower?" Right. All right. No. I know you've got some thoughts on this, but hear me out. Yeah. All right? And, and, and you know, two-thirds of the hands of the room shot up. Yeah, because they don't trust him. I said, oh, for God's sake, I used to run NSA. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know how this works. Yeah, no, okay. I, I, that, you know, the plumbing doesn't work that way. Why in God's name do you believe it? And one person in the front, to, to general nods, not right. unanimous, but general nods of improvement, puts her hands out, shrugs her shoulders, and goes, Obama. Yeah. Q, Stuart, QED. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Thus no, it has I, been and, proven. And, and it's, it's too bad. I, uh, there is no, there's nobody now that any, that, that people will accept is an authority who can say, you might believe this, but it isn't true. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's very hard. I, I, I do think the, the constant refrain that he is lying about wiretapping Trump Tower is, you know, given how approximate, you know, his, his uh, gross motor skills are a lot better than his fine motor skills. Well, I, and, yeah, and, but and you know there what? was an investigation. But, but but you know what? I mean, the facts of the case, okay, the only tap is is against one guy, and it wasn't when he was part of the administration. And everything else, and you know this, it everything else incidental, is incidental yes, collection. Yes, but, you right? know. Well, you, like, you, I would do, like, like, I would do at NSA, in America understand that. <laughs> that I would do at NSA every presidential transition. Of course. Because you want to know what these foreign governments are saying about your new guy. So let me. And by, by the way, who should really want to know? The new guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course he should be. I, I, but there is one aspect of that that really bothers me. I think bothers people who otherwise don't have the time of day for, uh, uh, for Donald Trump. And that is um, that wiretap. Incidental collection, though it was. Uh, okay, so we're, was, we are talking about the incidental collection yes. on foreign targets. Right. Presumably of the Russian ambassador. Yeah, or, or others ambassadors. And, and would you agree that the overwhelming proportion of the U.S. material was about rather than to or from? Yeah, I'm sure that yeah. that's the case. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the stuff that was unmasked should have been unmasked, right. et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, and uh, there are... There is reason to be cautious about unmasking, and that's why we have unmasking rules. Yeah. Uh, but I have yet to see anything from the House committee that says, here's a suspect right. unmasking, right. Um, even though there, there were people to who plausibly said we think they learned that uh, uh, by reading wiretaps of the Israelis, they could learn a lot about the Republican strategy on uh, uh, Israel. But, but you know, you know, you, you know, because of your life history, you know what a dilemma that creates 
for that yeah. analyst out at NSA. Oh, no, it's it's just, it's miserable. And, and, and oh, by the way, it doesn't show up in the intelligence for the third party to read right. until that analyst at NSA goes through this agony yes. of what it is can I legitimately report. Right, right. So it's, it, 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 all of that is true. The biggest problem that I had was somebody, and I, if I were Donald Trump, I would suspect the intelligence community, um, used the wiretap that had Mike Flynn on it basically to destroy him. So that that actually is an unarguable sin, mm -hmm. all right? Uh, I am I, not as reflexive as saying it was our tribe who, who leaked it, right. given all the knife fighting. I mean, the, yeah. the original White House had three separate groups, you know, the, right. the traditionalist, uh, the populist, and what I would call the religious warriors, yeah. the, the, yeah, yeah. The, the, Bannon, the Bannon group. And, you know, the long knives were out. So it's plausible, and that's as strong a word as I can use, that it wasn't the intel guys. But, you know, I know Mike, all right? Mike doesn't deserve this. Yeah. All right? I mean, I... It would not have been my first choice for national security advisor. Right. All right. But but you know, uh, all all I've allowed myself to say is he's done wonderful things for America. He deserves to get on with his life and live it with his family. Yeah. You know. And so that that was really bad. So I want, but I want to say it, it was really bad. And no one is asking the question, what do we do? This was a political use of NSA's capabilities that we have not seen since the 70s, maybe not even then, um, to take that information and use it to win a political battle and destroy a career. Either from the deep state against the mm -hmm. new team. Okay. Mm -hmm. There are air quotes out here yeah, yeah. around those words, all right. Or within the new team yeah. as they struggle for, for dominance because, you know, this was a chaotic transition actually it oh, wasn't totally. a transition yes, it wasn't yes. a transition it was just chaos yes it was it was it was uh I, but i will say i've read john T brennan's tweets about and to the president and they are scathing and um as this is john now present tense yes yeah. the stuff the stuff he's writing now yeah. which probably reflects views that he had before he left government uh, uh may be more confirmed now. so 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 you and i touched on this just a second ago all right, so so yeah, I'm under contract to CNN. Um, you brought this up, and I wanted to come back to it. Uh, Michael Morell mm -hmm. has a little buyer's remorse. Mm -hmm. All right, he's actually written that he underappreciated how much some of the things he was saying and doing during the campaign might blow back on the intelligence community writ large should Donald Trump win. Yeah. Okay. Now I've pushed back against Michael's argument along the lines of. Michael, you and I have been on TV for six years before that happened, right. all right? And and that just happened to be the set of questions we were now getting, and we were answering the questions to the best of, of our ability. Now, that said, Stuart, going forward, uh, and, you know, we're all imperfect human beings, but I try hard. Uh, going forward, I view my only legitimacy to talk about the intelligence. Is, is, to, is to be the fact witness. Right. So uh, apropos of the earlier discussion, let me tell you about unmasking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let me show you how this works. Right. Now, I cannot read Susan Rice's heart, mm -hmm. and any power, any power can be abused. But on the surface, this looks normal to someone like me. Let me explain why. Mm -hmm. and, and you just, you just, I mean, uh, other, you know, you can pick up 
anybody on North Capitol Street to go into CNN and, and shoot off an opinion. I think you know, I think they've, they've picked okay. me up on the, on the sidewalk. So, so, so I, again, I, I think the legitimacy of folks like John and Jim and me and Michael and John McLaughlin uh, and Phil Mudd yeah. is to, well, we kind of know how this works. Let me give you our impression. And I oh, look, it, it, it was a surprise to everybody. Uh, Trump, Trump's strength was that he pissed off everybody who'd been making policy for 25 years in Washington. Uh, and that's why people voted for him. Uh, and so it's not a surprise that uh, people from uh, uh, Bush 43 or even Bush 41 uh, weren't comfortable with him. Uh, and yeah, but it, it's, it's more. All right. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I was, I, I, no, it, no, it's, it was, it's, there's a personal style issue. Too. The, well, I mean, it's, it, it, the, the man is a bit post-truth himself. Mm -hmm. All right. And now, by the way, instincts are sometimes okay. After all, his instincts got him elected president. Mm -hmm. All right. When the data suggested it wouldn't happen. All right. Um, but, but he doesn't, I, again, I, I spent some time and I tried to write very carefully in the book, Stuart. And, and I, I simply say, you know, I, I'm putting aside the lie, don't lie thing. All right. I'm just telling you that very often his departure point for what he says or does does not seem to be a view of objective reality. So it's something else. I'm going to recommend a book to you. Uh, Conrad Black's book. Uh, uh, he's, he was a, uh, a very wealthy man for a while, and then he was totally disgraced, went to jail, like has come back as a commentator. He's good commentator. He's written a book about Trump, basically a, bi a biography. And the part that is really new and insightful is the early stuff where he talks about Trump's career uh, in the 70s and 80s. And basically, Trump became a very wealthy man by saying things that weren't exactly true He's a until they became, he made them true by, by saying them. He's a promoter. All right. I, I, I get Stone that. Stone soup. You know, uh, Fareed Zakaria's famous line, he's a bullshitter. He's not a liar. <laughs> All right. But he is a promoter. And, 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 and we, we're seeing it play out, yeah. Stuart, in, in ways that scare me. All right. Because the event in, Sir, in Singapore, okay, um, was, was like a prize fight. Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was, it, it was the image that was created. And now you got poor Mike Pompeo trying to, trying to shovel some reality, okay, in, in behind the image. And I fear, although we've let the air out of the balloon now, and I think the, the air will be out of the balloon for seven or eight months, having engaged at the head of state level, which is yeah. not normal, yeah. there are no off ramps when and that's the word I'm using, this goes south. Yeah. Well, when, when the North they, doesn't you know, do what, what he thinks they said they're going to do. Well, they're already and talking so about gangsterism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so no, there's great like danger yeah. here that, that, that it is the promotion. Oh, for God's sake, so we're so they interrupting should have, life. They should have given it a name. It should have been the ring-ding-dinga yeah. in Singapore. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly, <laughs> like the thriller in Manila. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to interrupt our regular broadcast tonight, folks, to tell you who the new Supreme Court justice is. <laughs> I mean, it's... it's you know, and, and, and I get that times change. All right. And he was, he's a master of Twitter and he communicated with the population in a way no other candidate has ever done that. But now that you're president, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of back to, no, you don't get to criticize athletes like you're the guy at the end of the bar and not the nice one either, the other one. All right. You don't get to do that as the president because it carries, well, it carries me and you. That's, yeah. 
That's yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That's we're what gonna, worries me. We're going to live with it, uh, uh, the consequences. Uh, all right. Well, uh, General Michael Hayden, uh, your book uh, is uh, <laughs> the assault on intelligence. Yes, I'm sorry. I I, I lost it. The assault on intelligence. American national security in an age of lies. Yes. Okay. I apologize. I, I lost the uh, the title. I. But I know you've read it. I have read it. Uh, and um, uh, as I like to say to people, uh, why they should listen to this podcast if they don't agree with me you can take the podcast to the uh gym and you don't even have to work out to get your uh, heart rate up over 100 uh so yes i i had a lot of fun i uh, liberally uh, uh commenting on your uh, uh your book but it's uh, it, it it's a great conversation i uh, and uh, um goes a long way toward showing that it is possible to disagree without uh, <laughs> coming to blows uh, or opening a, a door for Putin. Uh, thanks to Paul Rosenzweig, to David uh, Chris, to Nate Jones and Nick Weaver for joining us. Uh, this has been episode 225 of the Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Uh, uh, Mike, do you have any uh, upcoming events that you want to talk about? No, actually, we've, we've, we've done a lot of things for the book. Now, I just recommend folks um, you know, if, if they're of an interest in this, go ahead and, and pick it up. It's, it's a point of view, but it's, it, again, it's, it's one where I did some exploration and I just try to share it. I, you did at least as good a job writing this book as Jimmy Carter did uh, <laughs> as president. <laughs> Probably better. Uh, and I was in the Carter administration. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, to our guests, uh, if you send us uh, uh, people that should be on the show and they come on the show, we will send you a coveted Cyber Law Podcast mug. We have uh, Mike Hayden's uh, just sitting in the corner. All right. Uh, and um, just send those suggestions to cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com. Uh, we are tweeting out and using LinkedIn and Facebook to pre-announce the, uh, the stories we're thinking about uh, talking about. Uh, so you get a chance to comment uh, and in some cases maybe even provide the, uh, uh, the best line of the um, show uh, as Tony Rutkowski did with the cybercoms, uh, or was with the uh, uh, neocoms uh, uh, suggestion. Um, so watch for <coughs> at Stuart Baker on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. If you want to uh, leave us a voicemail, 202-862-5785. And please, if you do any of those things before you do that, go rate us on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher um, because that's how other people find us. Uh, upcoming this month, because we're taking August off, uh, Bobby Chesney and Danielle Citrone are going to provide a discussion of sex and cybersecurity uh, uh, as we uh, uh, get into the question of whether you can create plausible fake videos of famous people uh, engaged in a variety of pornographic activities and what that means um, for uh, Vladimir Putin's next <laughs> act. Uh, uh, Woodrow Hartzog uh, has a new book on privacy. We'll hear from him. And Noah Phillips, brand new FTC commissioner, will come on the show and talk about where the FTC is likely to take cybersecurity, privacy, and negotiations with the EU over uh, the, sa the safe harbor, uh, uh, the privacy shield uh, uh, discussion. And finally, show credits, uh, uh, Lori Paul and Christy Jorge are our producers. Uh, Michael Beaver is our intern. Uh, and today is also uh, handling 
the sound. So if you don't like the sound, uh, send it to send your comments to Michael Beaver. Uh, and I'm Stuart Baker, your host. Uh, we hope you're going to enjoy uh, going to join us for future episodes as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.